Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. And I've got to ask you, have you subscribed to this podcast? If you haven't, you got to do that. You can go on podbean.com and you can find us. It's podbean as in rice and uh, podbean and search for the EFCA West podcast. Of course, on your iPhone, just go to the podcast app and you, you can subscribe there and then you'll be alerted when we have a new episode, which right now is on a very strict every other week schedule. And so um, that's pretty much when we do it. And we occasionally throw up audio versions of our Wednesday workshops that we do on Zoom, which you have to join as well, because we always have really uh, talented and um, insightful guests on that. And we come together as EFCA West pastors and leaders to talk through issues related to COVID and everything else that's going on in the world that we just, we need to come together on and learn from each other. There's so much stuff happening in EFCA West that it's hard to keep up. It really is. But if you listen to this podcast, I promise you, you're going to get better at what you do. You just are. Because the guests we have on this podcast can make you better. They challenge you. They make you think. They give you options, ideas, opportunities. And my guest today is no exception to that rule. I've been wanting to interview him for a while. And so I am very pleased to welcome to the EFCA West podcast, Matt Larson from the Anthem family of churches coming at us from Thousand Oaks, California. Matt, how you doing, my man? Hey, I'm doing very well, Tim. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming into my backyard. Currently on a micro quarantine situation, so hopefully it's not too uh, chaotic here. But really excited to be with you today. We're making it work in the COVID reality, and of course, we're on Zoom where we're recording this right now. And you definitely have a better background than I do. This beautiful <laughs> backyard that I can see that you have, which is very cool. So you live in Thousand Oaks, um, California, at least that's where your church is at. And it's, uh, your church is called Anthem, anthemchurch.org. If you haven't had a chance to, to meet Matt or check out their church, you got to go to that website and just see what they're doing. But I want to start off by, I, I have so many questions to ask you because you really are unique in our district, in our denomination. Quite frankly, you're just unique among pastors. Our mission statement is for EFCA is multiplying transformational churches among all people. And I just got to be honest with you and everybody, the multiplying transformational churches I mean, that's aspirational. Like, that's what we want to be. But man, that is just not happening. But it seems to be happening with you. So tell us a little bit just kind of about your background. I mean, you're an EFCA guy, just kind of who you are, where you come from, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I've got a, a deep free church history. I um, uh, My dad planted EFCA, or I guess uh, EV Free, Conejo Valley back in 1979, here also in the same town that we're in. Uh, and I was born in 1979. Actually, my dad planted the church three days before I was born. And now that I've done the whole church planting thing, I look back on him and just think that was the most bonkers thing you could ever decide to do, uh, is go ahead and call it Launch Sunday right around the time that your second child is due. But uh, he did that. And so I grew up in a church context, uh, really enjoyed my uh my church upbringing. I loved Jesus at an early age. I got involved in student leadership and and really had a heart for Jesus. And the free church made a lot of sense to me personally, just the, the collection of churches. I love the autonomy and kind of the 
the freedom that comes with it. But at the same time, uh, at the same time, there's this sense of um, accountability, theological accountability and, and organizational accountability that uh, that I really appreciated personally. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's a bit of where I came from. And then we planted Anthem Church 11 years ago. Uh, got a, a great opportunity to work with EFCA West to get uh, up and running. I uh, really appreciate it. As Dave Page was my coach at the time and uh, just had a, a phenomenal experience getting the ball rolling. Uh, one of the issues, and this is, by the way, I, I love Dave to death. We had some great coffees uh, early days. And uh, Dave was very ready to say, get it, get it going. You need to get started. It's time. You're ready. And I kept telling him, actually, I don't think I'm ready. I think I could plant a church. I think I could teach the scriptures. I think I could do the job of leading a single local church, but uh, that's not my dream. My dream is to actually see a multiplying movement come to Southern California, and I'm not ready for that. So I put a pause on the church planting progress, and I did a leadership residency with uh, Dave Ferguson, John Ferguson, and the, the New Thing crew at Community Christian Church in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, my wife and I, we had three kids at the time. We have five now. We moved out to the Chicago area from Southern California, did a leadership residency with the specific goal of of how do I add a multiplying DNA into the gospel-centered, Bible-based, you know, like heart for the scriptures that I was raised with, love for the spirit that I was raised with. So I, I could do that, but how do I bring this sort of multiplying DNA into that? So that's kind of the origin story of Anthem Church, and we started 11 years ago uh, last month. You know, I think that's the that's the nut that everyone's trying to crack, or at least we are. I, I have wanted to to see this happen. I think most pastors, and I just want to be flat out honest, and people can disagree, but in, in the EFCA, we do a fantastic job training academically oriented leaders who, I mean, you go to an EFCA church, man, you're going to hear the scriptures, you know, you're going to hear, you're going to be challenged by the scriptures. I think you're going to be confronted with the gospel. You're going to hear that. You're going to see a devotion to Jesus. But when it comes to actually the, as you said it, the multiplying DNA, it just, it, it's really hard for us to get our, our minds around that. That's not, that's not the lane in which we were sent down. Um, what was it about your experience at Community Christian that, uh, that, that dropped that into you or, or made, like opened your eyes to it or helped you, helped you capture it and, and put it into to your church plan and anthem. Yeah. I think for me, one, one thing that was really important was their readiness to say that um, we're not trying to recreate community Christian church into a Southern California context. We know what we do is different. We're a West Chicago suburbs mega church. Uh, we do the campus thing. We do the, the church plant thing. We do things the way that we do them. Our, our heart is not to teach you how to plant many churches or campuses. Our, our dream is to put in you the DNA of a multiplying church because that actually you can contextualize. You can take to different contexts and do uh, the same work in a different way. And so the idea of being theologically minded, you mentioned academic, but but maybe even take the academic side out of it and, and Bible focused, Holy Spirit focused, Jesus loving, worship driven, like the deep things of God. That's not mutually exclusive from a multiplying mindset. Those things can be one and the same. And for community to 
affirm what they saw in me, that I had that sort of free church uh, love for Jesus and his scriptures uh, deeply embedded into me. They wanted to take that, sorry, they wanted to take that and really amplify the multiplying elements connected to that. And even, okay, what are the biblical reasons why multiplication is embedded into God's character, embedded into God's story, and embedded into the advancement of the kingdom in our modern day? Yeah. So, so you make the great point, and I, and I want to make sure that we're clear on that, that the theology or the theological rigor is not mutually exclusive from the, the multiple. In fact, in many ways, it should be what drives multiplication, right? And, and drives the desire for that. So, okay, so that, that was, it wasn't like that you went to community Christian and they beat all that stuff out of you. It's like they said, no, this is who you are. Now let's help you, let's help you think with a multiplication mindset and have that DNA. So what did that look like? I mean, what, what practical things were you doing or reading or being exposed to that yeah. made you see, okay, this is how we're going to do it differently. Yeah. So it, it did help that. Uh, to start the whole process of planting churches, I already had in my heart that I didn't just want to plant one church. Like if the gospel is going to advance, it's going to advance through planting into the generations, planting into the next community over. Uh, I'm not going to be the one church that solves the world's problems and all, you know, 150,000 people from the Caneo Valley are going to come to my church like that. That was not even remotely in my mindset. You know, the TO doesn't need one new church. We need 40 new churches over the span of a decade to keep reaching into these pockets of community. So I had that already as a mindset. What community did is they taught some of the some of the practical elements. Uh, number one, that we're reproducing at all levels. You can't just say, I want to be a church planting church, but not be deeply invested in leadership development at an elder level, at a uh, at a community group leader level, even artists and musicians, they put a high emphasis on that. Like the multiplying DNA has to infuse at every uh, level of the church if you're then going to manifest in the macro level multiplying of starting new campuses or churches. So that micro to macro thing was really helpful to see in them. Everybody has an apprentice, right? It doesn't matter what job you have in the church, what role, you're a paid staff, not paid staff. Every single person has an apprentice and that's doing two things. And they were always seeing their apprenticeships on two tracks. We are discipling them in their relationship with Jesus and we're training them to function in the mission of God. And so those two things, and, and you know, in theory, our discipleship to Jesus would also be training us in our you know, missional output. But I think some people, there is that extra element that Jesus got with his disciples where he was doing the both end. He was teaching them deep theology, but he was also saying to the 72, go to all those towns, heal, baptize, teach, like this is going to happen. And he gave them opportunities to put into practice the, the practical things that he had been demonstrating and teaching them. And so community did that exceptionally well. That was probably the biggest, biggest takeaway was seeing that in action and getting a sense of, okay, now I know, I know what that looks like. And I know what we can do to put those kinds of things in practice, into practice. And you know that it can be done. Yeah. Because you saw it done. Yeah. So one of the things that I think hinders that is sometimes our, our intentional or unintentional, what I would call barriers to entry when it comes to the apprentice or, you know, because like a new person comes to the church and it's like, well, we've got to make sure that they are 
that, you know, they've kind of jumped through these hoops that either they're a member or they're at least a believer or at least they're not going to, you know, they're at least they're not on the, uh, you know, FBI's 10 most wanted list or whatever, that before we can have them, you know, carry a cable or set up church or, I mean, God forbid, work with kids. So how, like, but but your approach, is, the approach that you're taking is there's the practical side of it, but there's the discipleship side. But how do you deal with the issue of like these kind of, you know, I'm talking about like how we put these barriers up. Like, well, we, this, we can't, we don't, you know, because we have that, that, that whole passage too about don't lay hands on a person too early. And I think that tends to drip or filter out into the way we look at all of ministry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, uh, kind of premise for a question. And, uh, it was helpful to have, I, I, sometimes you get to so many conferences and seminars, it's hard to remember who said what. So somebody else much smarter than I said this, you know, that whole kind of trifecta of belong, believe, behave, and, and we're, we're ultimately cultivating in people a sense of belonging to a community, a sense of believing in the gospel of Jesus and a sense of behaving, you know, maybe we don't like that word, but the concept, you get it for alliteration's sake, of acting out your faith in, in diligent pursuit of the character of Jesus. So those things, like the, the question was raised, well, what comes first? Traditionally, we've said you have to believe first, and then you belong to a community, and then you start to behave like a, like a follower of Jesus, like it goes in that order. And one thing that's sort of been upended maybe in this recent couple of generations, maybe start, I'm a Gen Xer, maybe from me on out through millennials and Z's a little bit, is there are, there is a curiosity to belong even before they believe or behave. Like there are people that will come and be a part of a movement or specifically you could say a local church, but you know, we could actually quibble a little bit over what does it mean to belong to a local church? There's a, you know, an element of faith attached to membership in the local church, but Paul was very clear with the Corinthians that there are unbelievers in your midst. Like you have to be aware of your activity because there's people watching you that don't know Jesus yet. And so that's the kind of element of there are going to be people that engage our, our church activities, the gatherings on a Sunday, community groups, mission before they believe for themselves, the gospel of Jesus and that's a great book that was really helpful. It's a totally secular book, but Tribes by Seth Godin back in the day. This was kind of before we even launched. I read that book. And there was it was this idea that Seth was uh, putting out there of like one of the roles of leadership is not just getting people to follow you, but ultimately it's getting them to buy into the mission itself and you become less relevant. You're, you're no longer the central figure, but the mission itself is the central figure. So his whole thing was marketing. You're not trying to sell a product. You're trying to create a tribe. That was the gist of the book. Uh, but for us as believers, there is an application in the sense of ultimately we are creating this sense of mission. We together are taking the name of Jesus to the nations. If you'd like to come and learn about Jesus, even while we take his name to the nations, you are invited into that journey with me. Now, obviously we get into, okay, where's the line worship leading and kids ministry and teaching hundred percent. I would put faithful people into those, into those roles, but there is that sense of what does it actually mean to bring somebody into the mix? And I think every church would probably just have to decide, okay, you know, what, what roles make sense to, to draw people into maybe even as they are coming to faith in Jesus, if you kind of put a, a little bit of a progressive experience in that, not saying there's not a point of salvation. Sorry. That's a very theologically minded right. group. You get the idea that people might be smelling the aroma of Christ and they're drawn in at that point, it's okay to say, Hey, let's go together. Let's walk together. 
and we'll do this while we learn this. That's that's kind of the gist, I guess. Right. And I because I think what happens is if you look at these two tracks, you know, like um, the decide, like you said, there's discipleship happening and then there's apprenticeship, you know, personal apprenticeship happening on the on the skill or the involvement in ministry itself. I think what tends to happen is the assumption that we make is, hey, we're preaching the word of God, which is great, and we should, and we're gonna we're gonna provide a place for people to come and hear it. And then when they hear it and they accept it and they receive it, or at least maybe not even totally receive it completely, but are enamored by it, they smell that aroma, but they're just gonna kind of somehow know what to do after that. And or just showing up on Sunday is going to be enough for them. And right. And then, and, and they'll just kind of stumble into becoming what, what we have been for decades. But it sounds like what you're saying is you put like at least an equal amount of intentionality into, of course, the gospel presentation and how we do that through preaching and, and everything else. But then the intentionality of the, of, Hey, you're here who else are you bringing? Who are who are you bringing along with you? Like that's just as important as as the aspect of 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 uh, communicating God's word and everything else. Am I am I close to that? Yeah, I mean, if you were to if you were to like pin me to a wall and say which is more important, I would say it's the the most important thing is that people believe in the saving grace of Jesus Christ and experience the personal transformation of His Spirit. But I think what what's been helpful about this kind of like journey for me is that what they're so tied together, mm-hmm. like our, our faith and belief with the living out of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And you look at the great commission and, and who was that written to, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus packages this commission. And the question is, was that to those people on the hill or was that to every subsequent follower of Jesus for the rest of eternity? And I I fall into that camp mainly because the activity of the church carried that commission into each subsequent generation, even in the book of Acts, they took it on as their personal mandate to make disciples of all nations. And so with that, you, you say, okay, so Jesus says, you have the, you have the gospel. Now your commission and mandate, I don't care if you've had the gospel for 38 seconds, your commission and mandate is to go and make disciples of all nations. Otherwise, if, if that weren't his motivation he could just suck us up into heaven the minute we come to faith in Jesus. If he didn't have a missional mindset for us being here on earth, the moment somebody says yes to Jesus, they'd be in heaven for all eternity. Otherwise, why suffer the things of this world? Why go through the challenges of the things that we face, COVID and elections and crazy world that we're in and all of that? It's, it's a hard world to live in. But Jesus has said, actually, I have a job for you to do. As you put your faith in me, I'm now commissioning you to go and make disciples. I will, I'll be with you. I haven't left you. I will be with you, but I need you to go and do this thing because this is how the world is going to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So for me, I've taken that and I guess tried to understand everything that we do, even as an ecclesiological concept mm-hmm. through that lens of to be a disciple is to make a disciple. So how do we, how do we cultivate that into the very fabric of not just when you go to work, tell people about Jesus, but does our organizational concept reflect that passion of Jesus? Yeah, exactly. So 
moving it out of the, uh, for the moment, out of the theoretical and into the real of what had, what actually happened then. So you planted your church and, and that's what's happened. I mean, you guys have been able to be involved in a number of church plants that have come directly from your church to get you to the point where you now kind of, at least as most recently as you and I have talked about this, you call yourself the family of churches. So t- tell us about that. What What is that looking like right now? I mean, you planted it. I mean, obviously some time has passed. Yeah. Um, we're in the COVID, you know, this whole COVID nightmare now, and, and there's all kinds of other things there. But but even, uh, but leading up to that, and certainly um, you're still continuing to do that, but you've been able to start other churches. What? Where are you guys at now? What? How many churches do you have out there that can trace themselves back to you? And wh- where are some of these places? Where do they look like? Yeah. Uh, I believe we're working on number 13 right now, um, and that's going to be going into South Pasadena here in the Los Angeles area. Apologize if there's some background noise. It is trash day. <laughs> you gotta love it. Yeah. All right. Um, so, and we've done a, a combination of efforts. So, uh, we've got two tracks for church planters at any given moment. Uh, and those two tracks are our apprenticeship model and our, uh, residency model. Apprenticeship, somebody might come on staff and serve in the church for a matter of one to, to three years. That's kind of been the durations that we've had. And then when the timing is right, we'll send them out to go and plant a church. Um, and those are the ones that have manifested in our family of churches because there's, there's a much closer tie to the, the leaders, to the, the church family that's going out. We'll send people. We'll send money. We'll, you know. So we've done that now three times. We have Kevin who's gone to Camarillo. That was our first. We've sent Bert out to Ventura. That was our second. And uh, just last year, we sent Josh out to Denver. That was our third. So our family of churches, uh, I should say our fourth with Thousand Oaks counted, our family of churches is those four churches, Anthem, Thousand Oaks, Anthem Camarillo, Anthem Ventura, Anthem Denver. Side note, we did not tell them that they had to be called Anthem. They each chose, you know, they have autonomy. It's a family of churches model. They chose to be called Anthem. And there is some value to actually having the family of churches all kind of carry the same name just from a from everybody involved kind of a picture. It's one of those things that kind of ties you together, but that was not the point at all. So uh, we have those, those churches that we've planted and that's all been through our apprenticeship model. Josh was our worship leader. Bert started Anthem students. Kevin was our community life uh, pastor. Like those are different roles that the guys have stepped into and functioned in for a matter of a year to three years. And then we've sent them out to plant a church. The residency model we've done with, uh, say, Daniel Jansen, Imago Day Church in Downey. We did it with Andy Rogers. Uh, he planted Restored Church in San Diego. Uh, we did it with Rob Patterson. Uh, Rob planted Journey Church here in Thousand Oaks. So we have an in-town resident and plant. He planted two miles down the road in a movie theater, and he currently meets in a facility that we previously rented, a Boys and Girls Club. Uh, and then we are doing a bit of a hybrid. We've had Garrison on staff with us for a year. Um, and we're sending him out and it was kind of a combo apprenticeship residency. And so he's going to be planting steadfast church in Pasadena, uh, in a, in about six to eight months, everything's up in the air with COVID. So we're holding super loosely to launch dates and just going at it from a, uh, disciple making and team building kind of a mentality. Uh, we've also planted Scott. I'm going to say everything here in very loose terms, Scott and Alexis in Southeast Asia. They're in a, um, a uh, communist country. Uh, they would prefer not to have any internet. 
uh, knowledge of where specifically they are, but they're doing a long range church planting, disciple making, small, small business effort. We partnered with pioneers to, uh, to send them out. Uh, but they were a part of Anthem. Scott was actually on our launch teams for Thousand Oaks, Camarillo, and Ventura. He was one of our serial church planters that just sort of like got the bug in him that everywhere he went, he wanted to to contribute. And that bug continued. And through uh, just a deep heart for the nations, he ended up in Southeast Asia. So that was great. Uh, we've got grandkids in that um, Restored Church in San Diego has planted Restored Chula Vista, Restored Temecula, and Restored LA. And we've gotten to be deeply involved in all of those church plants. Uh, and then we planted um, oh Costa Mesa, Genesis Church. My mentor, Chris Vinand, uh, planted into Costa Mesa. And while he never came and did a residency or an apprenticeship with us, um, we were financially involved and actively involved in the planting of, of Genesis Church in Costa Mesa. So that's kind of our, I, I lost count, but that's kind of the, the group that we've partnered with. Uh, our next is obviously South Pasadena and then working into Southgate in South, kind of South Central Los Angeles uh, through Daniel Jansen and Imago Day, sending out Memo Para into uh, Southgate. But that's been on COVID hold as well. Uh, they've sort of rallied the troops in South LA and have a great thing going on in Downey, but looking to get into Southgate soon. Yeah, you know, and I think what what's important to note um, by that is that um, we with with Daniel Jansen is we I know that that Dean Maeda has been working with him as well, but we were just talking about you guys in our staff meeting today because you know we are super excited about what's happening in that in that Gateway Cities area and that vision that Daniel Jansen has, and what struck all of us there was that was his church can be traced back to you. And what's interesting is, I mean, no offense to you, but we're not even talking about you. I mean, you're up and you're, you're going, you got your own thing. You're moving on. You got to play. And, and now we're dealing with one of your kids, you know, the churches that you planted and, and, and we're not even looking at them as a church plant anymore. We're looking at them as a, as a mother parent multiplying center. So this has like this effect and I want people to understand that, that that's, that's, you know, we're beyond you, man. We're thinking about what, what the guy you sent out is doing and the vision that he has for that area. And so it's been really exciting to have Dean kind of working with him a little bit on some of those things. Obviously you guys are super in heavily involved in that, but, but where do you find these guys? I mean, because like, you know, you got to be seriously faithful, courageous, have some skill and ability, uh, because there's a lot of things that you can do with your life. These guys show up to your doorstep. They spend months to years hanging out with you with no real guarantees. Uh, where do you find these guys and, and what does it look like to develop them? That's a great, yeah, great question. Uh, we feel very much God's favor to, to provide uh, young men and women that we can pour into. Uh, I include the women in that because we are actively, you know, like the wives are deeply involved in the process and mm -hmm. and such a joy to partner with them as husband and wife and, in, in, uh, you know, sending them out. Um, but to be honest, uh, Kevin, Kevin Bailey was the first and he helped us set the culture. So when I, when I called Kevin, he's my cousin. So that was kind of, we had some family ties. Um, and I called him up when we were in the launch phase 
And I said, all right, Kev, every time I dream about this church planting thing, you're there next to me. I want you to come and join me. He was doing youth ministry at the time, actually at my uncle's church. We're a totally inbred uh, family. <laughs> um, and uh, I said, I want you to come with me and, and you'll be our first plant. And so on our launch Sunday at, in Thousand Oaks, uh, we stood up and we told the church, hey, this is Kevin. Next time uh, we plant, it's going to be him. We don't know when, we don't know where, but we're going to start working on it today. And we tried to just, from the very beginning, jumpstart this DNA of a multiplying church that we're never, there's never a moment where we're just kind of sitting around. We're always going to be in either the preparation for the planting season or the support season of, if not one, multiple church plants. At any given moment, we want to be involved. Um, and so we, we kind of uh, jump-started that using Kevin. Uh, it took us about 16, 18 months to get him up and running from Thousand Oaks to Camarillo, uh, from our launch Sunday at TO to Cam. And from that point, it's sort of like multiplication begat multiplication. Like um, Andy Rogers came to us. Uh, he had heard about what we were doing through a mutual friend and called me up and said, hey, can we meet? And we met at, at Denny's at 4 a.m. before he was about to fly up to San Jose and take a job at a, a mega church up in San Jose. And I just said, you know, what if instead of doing that, you planted a church? And he went up, interviewed, got the job, came home, said, I haven't stopped thinking about what you said. Uh, he ended up quitting that job before he ever moved up there and became our first resident. We didn't pay him a dime. He fundraised his own salary. He became our first resident, spent nine months with us. We sent him to San Diego, and he's been this incredible godly leader, planting multiple churches, sending people into the nations. I mean, it's been such a joy to walk with him. But I think there, there's two sides of kind of both Kevin and, and Andy. I do think there's maybe a, a, a bit of a an apostolic perspective that I have. I, I'm always hesitant to come out and say I am an apostle because everybody has different views of that. I even have different views on that year after year. But the idea of the, the need for an apostolic story, I see that as being very biblical. Like the, the sent one's story is, is embedded into the scriptures. It's a missionary mindset, but missionary, when we think missionary, we think you know two years of language school, five years of culture school, you know, 10 years of getting to know the indigenous people and then whatever, like that's our picture of a missionary. But I think the, the apostolic mindset is basically like second Timothy two, two, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will teach others. Also, that's the attitude that we've approached this with. So having that going into those conversations with Kevin, with Andy, with Bert, with Josh, with the different guys that we've poured into, there's this sense of, I see this in you. And while there are probably deficiencies, I know I have my own deficiencies and each of the guys has gifting or uh, nobody, we don't, we don't plant with character deficiencies, but gifting deficiencies or vision deficiencies or whatever, that's where the collective can really rally and say, well, uh, for Kevin, it's highly pastoral, has a deep heart for people, struggles when it comes to big vision. So I encourage him and say, all right, well, let's don't, don't feel the need to come up with your own vision. Use mine. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be a visionary and you be a pastor shepherd and let's work together and we can, we can do better things together than we can on our own. That's sort of where the family of churches concept came from was we just like each other and we'd rather do this together and we'd rather cover each other's gaps than feel like we have to go out on our own and prove something to the world. Yeah. So it sounds like it, 
I think there's a nuance here because on the one hand, it's intentional, but on the other hand, it's, it's not like you architected this thing so specifically, like there was a willingness on your part. There was an intentionality, right? But, but it was in that willingness and openness and desire to see it happen that God seemed like he was writing the story. It wasn't like you were masterminding all this stuff. Uh, Dave Ferguson said something to me, or it might've been Eric Metcalf when we did our residency. I thought it was pretty helpful just in terms of like the attitude. Uh, They said, we've had to rewrite our org chart every time we've planted a new campus. Um, Loud checks. Um, and, And them saying that to me, what that did is that showed me, okay, this isn't a formula. Like it's not... I can pick my lane and I'm just going to do the same thing with everybody that comes through my doors and it's going to produce this massive multiplying movement. It actually showed me the fluidity and and it helps to read the book of Acts to see the fluidity also. Um, I'll come back to that in a second, but it was helpful to just see the fluidity of, of, okay, if we're going to be a multiplying church, honestly, each time we do it, it's probably going to look a little different. I think we've changed our financial model with every plant. I think we've changed our residency with every resident. And I think we've changed our apprenticeship with every apprentice. And while that might sound exhausting, some guys like to set it and forget it and write the curriculum and and make it be done. We just keep seeing the world changing in front of us. And what worked for the guy three years ago is not going to work for the guy today. Uh, The money that we had three years ago is different than the money we have today. The story that we're telling today is different than the story we we, we told seven years ago. And so we've got to keep really trusting the spirit and saying, okay, you're, if, um, if you see it more as a stewardship of who God's entrusting to you, Mm. than program Mm -hmm. of getting churches planted, then the, the whole metrics change. So our, our job is not to plant churches. You know, I love that whoever likes to say your job is to make disciples. Jesus said he'd take care of building his church. I think that's huge. Uh, and the book of Acts, Luke said, and the Lord added to their number daily. You see that all the time. And what you do get, though, is at the great persecution that happens in Acts 8, they all went out preaching the word. So the apostles were diligent to train whoever came to them that they need to be proclaimers of the word of God. And so for us, we're looking at this. Everybody that God's entrusted to us is a potential church planter. Some are going to launch large. Some are going to start house communities. Some are going to start community groups. Some are going to like lead. We want them leading with the word of God coming out of their mouth. So if we're training everybody for that, and some end up going out and planting fully autonomous churches that have a multiplying DNA, that's, that's kind of, that's a win. That's an exciting thing for me because it does, it multiplies our efforts and then they're doing the same thing with their people. But the picture of not, not everybody's an apostle, but everybody has an apostolic storyline. We're all sent once. That's the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. So if everybody has an apostolic storyline, then the, the thread that we're pulling is how do we, how do we get them to see their contribution uh, to the great multiplying work of God in the world? Um, so I don't know if I'm answering, I'm, I'm jetting all over the place on your questions, but no, yeah. no, that, but that's what I want because I, it, this is a, this is something we have to look at because it does go the re, the reason why your story is is so compelling is because it does go against a lot of the conventional wisdom that that tends to say okay success for a church plant 
is this metric, this number, you know, and, and so we, we, we scope out, you know, this community and, and, and I, I'm in favor of a lot of that stuff. Cause I've seen a lot of crash and burns. I mean, I live in Phoenix and I've been a church planner myself. I brought my church plant into the EFCA. I started independent, but, um, I mean, we, I, we've had guys that come out here and they come from different parts of the country and they see Phoenix as like this, this, oh, they say, oh, you know, it's really unchurched out there. And it's like, well, not, I mean, not really. I mean, I mean, we need more churches, but it's not like, it's not like the parts of the, it's not like Yemen or something. I mean, like we have people know where to go to find churches and we actually have really good churches here. So if you don't, we just seen a lot of people just try to go after a certain model and they're not cut out for that. And they fail miserably because I think they were trying to reproduce something as opposed to understanding that, that apostolic impulse of going in and trying to just do what Jesus said to be, it needs to be done. And then hopefully a church emerges out of that in some way and something that they can sustainably do for a long time. See, that's the thing I want to talk to you about as well, because not all these guys are necessarily uh, leading mega churches, right? And, and, but, but yet they figured out a way to do this in a way that they'll have longevity and, and, you know, have a life that they can support themselves and be able to do this for the long haul and yet have a great gospel impact. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things with that. Uh, we've got one guy that we're working with right now. Uh, we're doing a church plant cohort, and then this one has more of a global focus to it. Uh, so this is a new avenue. So we said apprenticeship and uh, residency, and now we have a church planting cohort where we have 13 um, people from nine different countries preparing to plant churches into a variety of different contexts. And uh, as a part of the Genesis Collective, we're working through um, a group to prepare them for planting. We've, we've planted a variety of different models uh, within Anthem. Um, our current, like, you know, Josh in Denver has been operating on a house church model for the last probably 13 months. Uh, you know, they had started with a gathering, then they moved to house church, and then COVID, it just made sense to pursue more house church than large gathering, that kind of thing. Um, and then we have us at Anthem TO, we pre-COVID, I guess nobody really knows what their numbers are now, but we were running close to 600 people on any given Sunday before COVID hit. And while that, you know, that like that creates some opportunities for multiplication, it actually also creates some challenges for multiplication as well, being a church of size. So our approach has not been, there's a format, let's find the format, find the, the, the specific leader that fits that format. We've gone about it more we have a job to raise up, train up leaders and help them walk in the fullness of what God's doing with them. And what is the church strategy and format and location and team that's going to best suit that person? And it's really opened up some doors to where, again, it's a stewardship of the person, not just a get the job done and plant more churches. I could manufacture a bunch of churches, but I think we'd get a lot of those crash and burns. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we, if we steward the individuals that God's entrusted to us, then I think we've got more opportunity to kind of surround them with strengths and give them an opportunity to really thrive. Obviously though, I mean, you do have, you have to be selective in a sense too, about who you're going to work with um, because you have to be able to see those gifts. Yeah. Is it, and again, because you, and you, you're, you are gifted in this area to see this. It's, it's, it's where your heart's at. My concern is if people are listening to this podcast and they go, Oh, you know, we got, you know, Billy over here, he's been working with the kids for a while. We're just going to, we're going to have him go out there and go to the next town and plant a church. I mean, that's not what you're talking about. No, 
No, I, and, and that's a, this is where the shared gifting. So I, I love Ephesians four. I'm a big believer in the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher concept of church health. I think Jesus gave us those gifts for the ultimate health of the body. And if you're nervous about calling somebody a prophet or an apostle, those seem to be the main two that people get nervous about. Again, just call it prophetic and apostolic. But mm-hmm. what I would say is, uh, for us, I, I think I lean into apostolic gifting. And so I have a certain type of person that when I see them, I don't know that I could write down on a, on a job description, it's this. But I think, again, I just see an apostolic storyline in certain individuals. And if somebody was feeling like, I just don't, I don't have that, then my encouragement is to say, well, borrow it from somebody. Who's the most apostolic person you know? Who plants churches? Who, uh, who goes into struggling churches and relays gospel foundations? Who do you know that's, uh, that's multiplied community groups in five different cities around the local church? Whatever. Like, and you see just that apostolic strand in them and bring them with you when you're going to meet this you know, young couple that's trying to figure out if they've got a, a church planting story to, to them. Uh, bring that person with you. And, and that's inviting in some of the giftings that maybe could contribute where somebody else might not, might not have that. And so I, I'm a big believer in borrow somebody else's gifting, borrow somebody else's story. Like we, we need help. Only Jesus had all five gifts. Only Jesus was apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And then he distributed those gifts to the body of Christ. And so if you lean towards the pastor, teacher, the shepherd, teacher, the, uh, the prophet, shepherd, you know, whatever, like the prophet evangelist, if you lean into some other area and you say, yeah, I want to plant churches, but I don't necessarily, when I see people, I don't see them as potential church planters. I see them as, you know, a prayer warrior. I see them as uh, somebody that can faithfully study the scriptures, but I just don't see church planting in them. I think that's where we, we bring in an apostolic perspective and it really does help. You'll see things through a different lens. Um, I mean, my, the guys on my team have joked that I can make anybody into a church planter, but I, I, I actually don't believe that because I've had over the last 11 years, probably 6,000 coffees with people and I've planted 13 churches. So I don't, I don't see necessarily that every single person is going to follow this track, but also theologically, I wouldn't say that the objective of being a follower of Jesus is to plant a church. It's to make disciples. So you can do that in the medical community. You can do that Mm -hmm. in education. You can do that in science. And so I want to make sure I'm empowering believers to live a disciple making lifestyle uh, wherever they are. And some of those people have that apostolic story in them. And I want to be able to identify that. And there are other people that can't too. Yeah, and it strikes me that when you when you speak that way and when you have that kind of a focus, when we talk about, you know, where do you find these people and sometimes they find you and they find you like in the case of of the guy who is going to get the job in, in Northern California or whatever, when they sense that in themselves that they have an apostolic impulse, they they're often like misfits in normal church environments. Right. They don't they don't feel. And then so there's like guilt because they're like, why am I why do I go to church on Sunday and I'm bored? I mean, I should be excited about worshiping God. I should be excited about going to my small group. I should be excited about hearing the preaching or even even being a pastor of a typical church. Sometimes people, you know, some guys, why, why, why do I just feel like like. You know, and you can almost you just feel like a fish out of water. And and there is this other there's this whole other world. And I think that's a really great value to this conversation that that pastors need to be able to identify this, that this exists and then be able to 
maybe they feel it themselves or they know people that go, this guy doesn't really fit in the local church in the normal context. He or she belongs out on the fringes, like out, out in the no man's land, out on the frontier, because they're often the first ones and they're the ones that, you know, get the arrows and, you know, die of the diseases or whatever else. But they kind of pave the way for the others to come in behind them. And, and we've got to create space and we've got to create legitimacy. It's legit. It's there biblically, but it's not necessarily there culturally for us. We've got to create space for those kinds of people to be able to, to flourish. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's just not a, I mean, you can kind of look at maybe the nineties. I remember when I was first being interviewed in, in terms of church leadership, different roles, there was definitely a prototype that everybody was looking for, uh, you know, a certain set of gifts. Did you go to seminary? Did you go to Bible school? Can you communicate? Uh, do you have a decent marriage? Are you a man of character? You know, sort of like if you can check these boxes, then you fit the bill. You can lead our church or you can plant a church or you can be our youth guy or whatever. And you just start to see, I don't know, God's doing different things with different people. And he, he I think, is more ready to reach on people than we have ever been. Uh, I think you you go through the scriptures and there there's not a prototype of the one type of person that God used every time. It's I mean it just ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows. And I I want to step into that. If so, if I'm going to be a spirit led leader, then it's gonna it's gonna be when I sit down for a coffee with somebody that's outside of the norm. I want to listen to who they are and what they're thinking and how they're uh, how they're processing through. I mean Josh is a great example of that who leads our church in Denver. I mean, he was the, he's the ultimate worship leader, songwriter, artist. He's got, he's just the most powerful worship leader. I think I've ever uh, enjoyed worshiping alongside. Um, Our church took a massive hit sending him out because of the fact that he was such a a quality worship leader. We have an incredible gal that stepped in. I love her to death. I've told her there's something about when Josh sings, man, it's a, it's something different. And it was so interesting watching Josh try and step into church planter mode because he, he was almost like, I'm not allowed to touch my guitar now because I have to be a church planter. Mm. And at some point, we just had this conversation and it kind of the, the switch flipped in him. And actually, Kevin Bailey prophesied uh, over him and just said, hey, I don't think God's done with you and singing, even as a church planter. And what, what happened with that is it took him a moment to like step into being this sort of prophetic songwriting voice into his church, the small church, but it did a powerful thing to bring this small church into a place of deep and profound connection to Jesus. And there is something happening in Denver that is not happening in our other churches because Josh is a different kind of gifting, a different kind of leader, carrying a different mandate on him, even than I might carry. And I want to, I want to, I want to empower that. I don't want to pull him back and say, no, you're not leading like I lead. Right. And I think it needs, it's very important that we, that we clarify this because we're not saying anyone can be a church planter, especially when we think, when we think church planter, we think an organizational leader who is doing a thing in a, you know, public school somewhere every Sunday or however you, however we're doing it now with our COVID restrictions, 
Like that's not necessarily what we're talking about. You, you know, you're talking about the apostolic story. You're talking about what are the unique giftings and opportunities and the way God's wired a certain individual to go in and to basically make disciples, to gather other people, uh, to be able to use their gifts in such a way that, yeah, you want a church to emerge out of that. So we're not trying to fit all of these different types of people into one type of mold. But the other component that's really important here is is this is the fact and you do I want you to talk about this because I, I get your emails and I haven't been able to I know you do did a couple of them on Zoom, but you have something like once a month or something called exploration. And tell us about that because you I, I my guess is you are still very much involved in the lives of these leaders that you have sent out. You know, you, you think of space first space, second space, third space. I know a lot of times we use that in a local community context, but we've sort of looked at, at church planting through the lens of the leadership and influence that we have within our local church to raise up church planters and send them out. That's the first space. The second space is sort of the regional influence that we have, kind of the, the different guys that might come in and be a part of our story, not because we're trying to build some brand or network, but just we align in language and doctrine and in heartbeat. And so they'll kind of glance, some are glancing and some are deeper running with us. And then there's the third space, like the Genesis Collective cohort, where we're sending people into the nations, that type of thing, just going out into the nations. Exploration really fits into that second space of, for whatever reason, the Lord's given us some influence in the local leadership of churches around here. Uh, Some of it's guys we've planted, and some of it's guys that um, maybe want a multiplying story or want a... um, just want to see the, the, the leadership that they have being honed in the kind of leadership that we are operating in. And so we make some space available for that where we meet once a month, uh, we get together, we, we really do focus in on um, what does it look like for us to sharpen and shape spirit-filled life uh, leadership. Like, I, I don't want to just tell guys, all right, uh, here's what we're doing for Easter. You guys should all do this for Easter. Or you know, here's, here's our next strategy for this uh, evangelistic thing that we're doing, or here's the discipleship program we're running. I'm not necessarily interested in that, though we casually all update each other on the kinds of things that we're working on. Uh, but I do want to lay foundations. I think that's the, the apostolic like pulse in me is to lay foundations. So uh, we, we talk Christology and, and think, okay, what is it, if we're going to be the people of Jesus, what does it look like for us to lead elder teams that reflect the character and heartbeat of Jesus. And so we'll talk about the elder eldership, but, but through a Christological lens, or, you know, we'll talk about something like we, I mean, COVID has been different because everybody's going through the same emergency. So we've had a number of COVID conversations, just actually some space to kind of work through things, but we've talked about the inner character of a leader. Uh, I, I try and have different people lead it each time. It's not, I'm not trying to create platform to teach. I'm, I mean, I'm so glad that you guys are having DJ conversations rather than Matt Larson conversations because DJ is, he's like, we invest in him because we see him as key and critical for the next generation of church planters to, to plant in hard places. A lot of, for a lot of guys, they're looking at what's the most natural place for me to, to lead for DJ. He, he felt compulsion to go into a hard place and to plant a, a hard church in a hard place with hard people. I mean, now he makes a very, very strong point to say they're not hard people. Mm-hmm. They are people who are receptive, but yeah, there are challenges to the community that we're in. Um, 
And so you look at that and just think, I want all of those voices contributing. And so I use my leadership, my local leadership influence to try and bring a myriad of voices in to help better the group so that we can all be walking forward together into a higher quality pursuit of Jesus that manifests in stronger churches that manifests in more church planting that takes place. Uh, that to me is um, uh, something that I can bring to the table of, look, again, it's a stewardship. Whoever God's entrusted to me, I want to make sure that I am uh, whatever I can, whatever I can contribute, I want to be helpful. And so I share our story and I share our leadership and I share our influence as often as possible. Again, we talk about sending people out and we, we want to do that. But then at the same time, we want to continue to walk with them and f- follow up with them. And because, again, the old the old model was like, you know, hey, good luck. I mean, see you later. And and then they kind of go do their own thing and you just kind of hope they make it. And so obviously we, we have coaching systems like in the FCA, you know, we have coaching systems. But it's it's even more than that. It's it's helping them. It's continuing to shape and disciple and mentor um, people. So let me ask you then, because I mean, one of the uh, obviously the one of the obvious advantages of church planting is you get to create the DNA from the start. You know, that was when I planted my church. It was like the beautiful thing about that was like no one has been at that church longer than me. You know, so I can't have some old lady going up going, I've been here longer than you. It's like, no, you haven't. I mean, I was the first one here. So, and, and so it's like, hey, there's a certain, there's a certain credibility that comes to that. Like this is, sorry, but you know, this is who we are. But we've got a lot, you know, obviously the vast majority of, of pastors, church leaders, men, women listening to this podcast are in established churches and maybe listening is going, man, this would be so cool. But like, how do I square this up with what's happening in our church now? So if a church wanted to say, how do I begin to kind of move this direction? What would you, what was like a first step for them? I, I know it's a hard question, but like, you know, what would you say? Uh, I mean, I've got a lot of chops in the established churches. I, I did youth ministry for 10 years, four years at a free church in the San Fernando Valley and six years at a, at my dad's church. I, I worked with my dad for six years. It was incredible experience, but both were, one was 25 years old at the time. And the other was, I think, 60 years old, old church. Um, and one of the things that from those experiences I've seen, if somebody wanted to step into a multiplying mindset, one of the best things that you can do is hijack somebody else's story. So a great example, we've got Nick Rainieri going into Long Beach, right? Have you, you've gotten time with Nick at mm-hmm. all? Oh yeah. Uh, through DJ. Yeah. So Nick's going into Long Beach. Um, okay. So they need funding. They need prayer support. Uh, Nick would love to share a vision with uh, other local church leaders. Um, and this happened with us when we were, when we were planting, I, I sent out a, a cold call free church pastors. So if any of you guys are listening and you got a cold call from me 11 years ago, uh, I had a whole summer in our pre-launch phase. I was, I was offering pulpit supply. I was like, look, I'll come, I'll talk to your elder team. I'll talk to your mission committee. Uh, you can put me in on Sunday morning. I don't need the pulpit. I'll, I'll preach in your series. I don't have a set message that I'm trying to preach, whatever you need. Like, I just wanted, again, wanted to be a resource. Well, an established church. So, uh, you know, there were a couple of churches that took me up on that. Uh, and there was one church in particular up in Tulare that, uh, that brought me in and gave me the opportunity to preach. They took a love offering for me. I think they gave me $1,700 in one Sunday mm. and then sent me another check the following week said, Hey, more people gave to that love offering after you preached. And, you know, I, 
here I am. I think I, I preached a message that, you know, it wasn't church planting related. I'm not that, I didn't have to be that guy, but there was something about just the shared experience and there was an infusion of some life into their story that they appreciated. And I got a chance to share my heart and it was, it was a beautiful connection. So I think one of my, one of my big things would be if you hear of a story and this is Tim where you and uh, or Ray and Dean and some of the guys can really, you know, kind of like forward out some of the stories that are going on. There's a chance to kind of like saddle up next to these, these people that are going to be planting churches and say, okay, what does it look like for us to partner with? Mm-hmm. We'll be a prayer partner. So, okay. Our church is committing to pray for you guys on the, the third Sunday of every month for the next year. And each time we pray for you, we want to give people the opportunity to give to what you guys are doing. There's something that, that binds a church's heart to a church plant if they're bought in through prayer and through financial support. Uh, if you're close enough to Nick and you say, okay, we've got, we've got four families that we think would, would, would really do a, a job of helping to lay a groundwork and a foundation. We don't expect them to be on eldership. We don't expect them to be leaders right away. We're not trying to like, you know, create our own culture here, Nick, go take them. I'm just using Nick as an example, by the way. Um, but having that opportunity to say, yeah, we've got some families that we could send that would really help establish a foundational strength to this new church plant. It's hard for us to realize how could giving families and giving money and giving prayer time cultivate a multiplying DNA in us. But for me, I think for the established church, that's step one, because if those things aren't there, you know, you could, you could talk apprentices, you could develop a residency program, you could dream about planting a church, you could even have your pastor in training or kind of your next guy who's going to go out. But there's got to be some skin in the game before any of those things. And I think that skin is going to be, are we funding and giving people and resources to new church plants? And then step two would be all of those other things. Start to develop a, a pathway for somebody to come through and learn and then go out. And it's not a bad thing for them to go out. It's a good thing for them to go out. Um, Sit down at your next staff meeting and say, one of you guys is going to plant a church in the next five years. And I'm just going to start praying about who, you know, these are things that start Mm -hmm. stirring people up Mm -hmm. and plant seeds of the apostolic storyline in their minds and gets them ready for maybe it is me. And maybe God does want to do something with me. And then your children's guy isn't feeling obligated to go plant, but the apostolic seed is stirring in him like, Oh, okay. It could be an opportunity for me to go out and do this. So yeah. those are some fire ideas. I hope I didn't go too fast on those. No, they're, they're so good. The, the idea of hijacking somebody else's <laughs> story is yeah. so wise because here's the thing too. Some people might be listening to this and thinking, well, I don't have anybody like that in my church. And the fact of the matter is you do. And, but, they, but they're, and they, and they are the ones and they, they'll, they'll cause trouble after a while because they're just restless people and they, they want to do something crazy. And I got to be honest with you as a district superintendent and we have fantastic churches, but, but, you know, as I've been learning the stories of the, all the churches and there's so many, we have so many new leaders coming in that are doing great stuff, but you hear these stories. And like you said, there's churches that are 25, 40, 60 years old. And a lot of time the conversation is like back when we were really big, back when we were really cranking and God was moving. And it's like, well, what about now? And, and like, what's happening now? Or like, can we say the best days are ahead? And I think there's people, if you give them something scary, it actually 
makes them come alive. And so when you say something, like, I love what you say. Hey, one of you guys is going to plant a church. Are you prophetic? No, you're just throwing it out there to like, what? It's like one of you guys is going to be dead in here or something like that. Like, who? You know, it's like, what's going on here? You're doing something like that. The other thing that's important too, and you know, you mentioned funding it. And and by the way, this is not a side door uh, appeal on your part to to try to get money. In fact, what uh, the reason I want to make that point so importantly is is Anthem Church has, and I'll say this to you, you know, in our podcast, you guys have been unbelievably generous to our district uh, financially, and you and I that does not go unnoticed. Um, and and you got you have to know that is is if every and I'm just being honest, if every church gave to the level that you guys give. Um, I would be able to get that Ferrari that I've wanted. And, you know, I, that I'm just, for what it's worth, that's what I want to say. No, but but in all honesty, the amount of things that, that we would be able to do as a district, because there's so much that we, we were just talking about this in staff meeting today. Like there's areas of the United States of, in our district. I mean, massive areas that were like our, because our, I believe in the evangelical free church. I believe in both of those words and what they mean and the power there. And I think, you know, without saying it, you have as well, because we talk about the gospel. I think evangelical free fits perfectly your your balance of theology and practice. It, the theology is gospel centered. The free is exactly what you're talking about. The ability to be able to follow the lead of the spirit of God and go into a place and actually do what it takes to do what it takes to get the gospel into that community and to have a church emerge from that. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's not what we have then kind of seen it turn into in certain periods. So I don't want to keep you much longer, but Matt, I mean, you got me all fired up about this. I want, I want people to know, can you just give me your, your email again? It's, it's your website is, um, is anthemchurch.org. And we'll, we'll put it on the, on the description when we, when we post this, um, when we post the podcast episode, but maybe just tell us, give us your email. I mean, can people reach out to you if they're going, Hey Matt, you know, can I just get around you a little bit? Can I, can I be a fly on the wall? I mean, how does that work? Yeah. So I'm uh, Matt at anthemchurch.org. Uh, really easy. It's not a, we don't have hidden emails or anything like that. That's my only email address. Uh, other than my old Gmail that I started 25 years ago and I still send all my junk mail to, so I won't give you that one. Um, so yeah, Matt at anthemchurch.org. Uh, feel free to reach out. Honestly, like exploration is a, a great first step. We meet typically the first Thursday of the month. Uh, and we've been doing my backyard just because, you know, outdoors is better than indoors with COVID and Southern California and that kind of thing. Um, but if you're, you know, out of state or out of the area and you just want to connect, um, yeah, I was actually before this, I was on a phone call with a guy in Texas that's just kind of curious about what we're doing and, and how we're going about it and just had a lot of questions. I love I love those conversations. So uh, more than happy to walk through that with uh, with anyone. Um, and, you know, as far as you can dig around our church's website. I love our church. I, I don't think there's anything spectacular about it. Nobody's writing books about our strategic methods or anything like that. Cause honestly, we're just, a, we, we preach Jesus uh, and we, we love people and we do, we love to send people out. And I think that that pulses through the blood of our church. And so it, it, it is part of what comes out of us. Um, but I mean, you can listen to our messages. We're preaching through first Peter right now, highly relevant, highly relevant in this current context. And, um, you know, I just, yeah, we're, that's a little bit about who we are. So Matt at anthemchurch.org. That's all you actually asked for. I'll show you. No, that's great, Matt. And man, you just been, um, 
you just been you've been a gift to the free church. Uh, and what I love is you 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 came up through the free church. You came up through that DNA, and I think you have you have owned it and breathed fresh life into it. And there's a ton to learn from you, from the churches that you're planting. And uh, so I'm excited about how God's going to use you in the future, um, even even in greater ways. And I'm excited that you're a part of our family. I mean, that's a that's a huge thing. And uh, w- one of the things I'm hoping to do, and I'm seeing it happen, is I, I just believe I just believe in who we are, and I believe that that we are. You know, they say better together, and I was like, ah, is that really true? I I think it absolutely is true. And it's it's because we have guys like you um, that are doing the work and and that are willing to just give it away and willing to say no, look, just see what I'm doing. We're not, you know, this is who we are, and and if you if it works for you, great. And uh, so I would encourage people to reach out to you and and just remember, um, this is this is this is our tribe, and there are I'm on a mission to showcase to our entire district and our hopefully our denomination the amazing things that God is doing right under our nose here. So our best days are ahead. I totally believe it. I believe it for you as well, Matt. So, hey, thanks a lot, brother. It's been, it's been great being with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tim. I appreciate it.